Welcome to the National Democratic Institute's Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. In these candid conversations recorded from home, politically active women from around the globe interview each other about the male-dominated world of politics. They're the best examples of why we need to move faster to reach political parity between men and women before the middle of the next century and change the face of politics. In this fourth episode, Pakistani digital rights activist Nigat Dad interviews Mamoza Kusari Leela, a member of the Kosovo parliament and the former deputy prime minister of Kosovo, about her journey to political leadership and the obstacles she faced and overcame along the way. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. My name is Nikhat Daad, and I'm the executive director of the Digital Rights Foundation in Pakistan. My guest is Mimosa Kosari Leela. Ms. Kosari Leela is a minister in the Kosovo parliament and the former deputy minister, prime minister of Kosovo. She was also the first ever woman mayor in the history of Kosovo. I'm looking forward to this conversation because as a woman activist from Pakistan, I'm interested to know how this journey of working as a young woman politician in Kosovo has been for you so far, Ms. Kosai Leela. Thank you for having me, Nagat. It's a real pleasure to be here today with you. And Ms. Kosai, I have been reading a lot about you and uh, I'm very interested to know uh, what motivated you to get politically involved uh, was there a personal connection to an issue, a political party, your family, any context? Uh, yes, I got politically involved in 2009. Uh, it was very personal involvement. Uh, even though I had a previous uh, experience with institutional life, I'd never been a member of a political party. Uh, in 2009, I was offered uh, a candidacy for a mayor of my hometown, Jakova. And Jakova, for those who don't know the history of Kosovo, is actually a town in southwest of Kosovo, about 100,000 inhabitants, but a town that was the mostly uh, destroyed during the last war in Kosovo. So we had the highest number of people killed, economy destroyed, and in 2009, even uh, 10 years after the liberation, the situation was not good. So I felt that uh, despite my uh, life going on in Pristina, in capital of Kosovo, my position at that time was as a head of American Chamber of Commerce in Kosovo, I thought that getting engaged in political life, and in particular in local governance, was the best mix between my business experience as an MBA graduate and executive director, and also politics, because I, was, I would be able to deal directly with people's need and try to find a solution, but then also feel uh, in my heart the empathy for the loss and the grievance that was still going on uh, in my hometown. Was I successful in my first endeavor? No, I was not. It was highly contested election, local election. I was subject of uh, a process that was associated with fraud and uh, uh, voters' uh, manipulation as well. And it was very narrow result, but uh, the other uh, party was able to win. Uh, and that was my first harsh entrance and reality with politics in my country. 
Wow, uh, that's uh, actually, uh, I mean, I, I could, I was just like, wow. I mean, I was also reading that you were the uh, first ever woman mayor in the history of Kosovo. What it was like for you being a first woman mayor? Was it being welcomed in your society or uh, was there anything positive? Like, how was your experience? To connect the two questions, uh, my reason entering politics was mayorship. And when I was not successful the first time, I still continued to be in politics. So I had built up my career in politics and participated in general election and was elected an MP and had a position in the government that I held for three years and then went back again in 2013. Uh, and this time for the second time I won. And I became in 2013, Kosovo had the first and only woman mayor. Up to this date, unfortunately, I'm still the only one uh, that can be remembered uh, that it won. Uh, it was for me because I ran two times in 2009 and 2013, people uh, welcomed. And then I even felt that victory was mine the first time. So in a sense, it came natural with the position. But then when it came to dealing with issues, um, I realized why there are not more women in politics, because men used to do things different way, because I realized that a lot of issues that need substantial change and handling were done superficially. So uh, my predecessor did, did not go into the depth of checking on problems, rather they were focusing on uh, probably pleasing members of their political party, uh, or trying to push on their own agenda, but not the agenda that is political, politically blind. I, on the contrary, was trying to treat, actually was treating everyone equally, did not discriminate people based on their political affiliation, of course, not at all on gender or faith or any other uh, differences that humankind uh, presents, but on the contrary, was trying to uh, be and serve the soul. However, uh, was facing a lot of uh, propaganda from my political opponents. Uh, one of the things that uh, sort of hurt me the most was the fact that they were trying to perceive me as the uh, urban lady who does not like or do not get involved with the rural areas, which was in the country. The budget and the project was saying the opposite. I, we had uh, more than 60% of the budget assigned for the rural areas, but it's unfortunate housing in countries like ours that are not developed. People more tend to believe the propaganda rather than the facts and uh, figures. We've opened up the municipality on very transparent uh, processes. We went and put a portal online for the Jakova municipality so everyone could see the contract, the tender, the expenditures. Uh, we had uh, a series of public debates, so for any other big project we would organize a public debate because I wanted to hear what people um, think and believe that uh, what's the path we should go together. So there's uh, probably more of the energy that goes uh, in this is for someone who has a concrete and sincere agenda uh, is facing these the propaganda and political battles. And um, this is when I realized that definitely you have to stay in politics, not just to change the face of politics, but to change how politics is done. And politics should be at the service of the people, not at the service of political parties and their very personal agendas. This sort of brings me to another question where uh, it's also 
sort of interconnected that this year we celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Conference and Platform for Action. Uh, what do you think has changed for women in political leadership and decision making in the last 25 years? What has stubbornly stayed the same? Well, unfortunately, in, in political processes, we still have a quite wide gender gap. I was uh, looking at the uh, World Economic Forum has a very important, for the last 15 years, they're doing a report on gender gap. And uh, there are two main areas that I also have a great passion and energy put in is political empowerment. And that is believed that actually it's going to take about more than 90 years to get into the, uh, to close this gap. And then also economic empowerment. These two areas uh, are those that are lacking quite a lot of attention. Uh, worldwide, if you look at the presence of the women, it has increased um, in last 20 years. Like now, it's better than ever before. So women parliamentarians are about 25%, and women in ministerial position are 21%. But yet, we have to keep in mind that women are 50% of the world population. They are not 21%, nor 25%. So the representation of women and this gap needs to be closed. And I think there is a lot of uh, uh, effort that needs to be put in, a lot of encouragement for uh, girls and women, and again, a lot of alliances that need to be built with men who are open uh, into accepting and also working together with women and actually not uh, discriminate because of gender or not put prejudice uh, for women in politics. And my belief was always that uh, we need to be active in politics, not to act like men or to replace men, but to present a new uh, way and method of doing politics, of being involved in politics, and that is women in politics bring new perspective. And this is my uh, goal, and I think um, even 25 years after uh, Beijing declaration, uh, there's a long way to go, and um, as the statistics are showing, in our lifetime we will not be seeing uh, the uh, diminishing or closing the gender gap, but still we can all contribute to narrow it down as much as possible. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, Mimosa, you have just mentioned why we need more women and girls uh, who should be engaged in political movements and uh, uh, in uh, politics of the country, and also what kind of impact uh, we can see uh, through their engagement. Uh, do you, I mean, you have already talked about this, but I would like to specifically ask you this question, and if you have an example that, do you think that there is a difference in the way women and men lead and engage with others? Uh, and if you have any example uh, around this. Yes, uh, I truly believe that there is a difference, at least in the societies where you have a more patriarchal uh, culture or when you have women in very tradition, perceived in very traditional roles. Uh, I will give you a, a personal example. I found out that it was so much more needed to have a women, in particular in, in, in my role as a mayor, in the areas where you had crisis happen before, like in my hometown that faced severe war and severe consequences, women have a higher tendency of, tendency of empathy. They empathize more with other women who have lost their children, with men who have lost their family members. Uh, they tend to consider the situation uh, and based on very personal experiences and also act upon that in an emotional and more sensitive way. And I found that my communication 
with a lot of categories from uh, they've been uh, touched or uh, they've been um, uh, actually gone through a, a horrendous experience of the war, uh, for me it was more natural and at least I had much more ex uh, sort of uh, communication and engagement on their situation. But then not leaving alone uh, or not leaving aside uh, other engagement in politics. Other element of our societies is that as girls, we tend to be educated to multitask. So we don't only uh, been told to uh, learn because we need to excel at school. We've been told to, you have to keep the house clean. You have to take care of your brother. You have to um, actually do groceries and you have to, uh, and, and also excel in school and then be kind to guests who come. These things actually, I only understood when I entered politics on multitasking how much it has benefited me and how the advantage that it gives you as a woman as opposed to a man who has one objective, follows that objective and leaves everything else aside. So that empathy, soft skills, elements of being aware of every other circumstance around you is very important and women bring that in politics. Yeah, it reminds me of how, uh, you know, expectation from women in our society, which is deeply patriarchal, male-dominant society in Pakistan. Um, uh, we, uh, we, we have a very few percentage of workforce of women uh, in the country. And uh, um, uh, since I also come from a very uh, humble, low middle-class background, I remember that uh, when you ask your male elders to... Uh, to join any workforce, you know, you actually need their permission. And if they give you permission, they think that it's basically, they are giving you a benefit or, or a, a privilege that you basically don't deserve. And you, you can do the work outside home, but the rest of the home shouldn't be disturbed. You know, the, the business of caring uh, the entire, to, to take care of entire family, your parents, your siblings, your husband and the family of the husband, it's the, it's, it's the main chore or the main duty that people think that the woman has to do. Uh, but this also sort of uh, brings me to my another question. Uh, how do gender equality and democracy work together in your mind? I think they're inseparable, uh, not just gender equality and other equalities as well. I see uh, that we cannot have a functioning democracy if we don't have women involved because then uh, we basically don't have a proper representation and if democracy is the essence of having people represented and having people uh, have the representative with the interest and with the issues that they face, then without women we don't have a proper functioning democracy. So. Um, if, if you look at the, uh, again, going back to numbers, uh, countries that have been able to either close the gender gap or increase women participation in politics are known as countries uh, with the score better uh, with uh, the index on democracy, the freedom of speech, the, the equal rights. And I think that the two have to be the essence and the core of anything that we speak about democracy and state building. Uh, one of the important things is that anytime that the democracy is endangered, you yet have women marginalized. So in old processes or in countries that have been democratic or have crisis, and then something happens, you would see that the first marginalized group would be either women in politics, how women are perceived, 
or neglected or left on a side. So the two are definitely interrelated and one is the core of the other. Such a wonderful response. Although you have mentioned uh, about your personal struggle and the propaganda uh, that you faced uh, by the opposition parties and all, but I'm also uh, in interested if you, uh, if you are comfortable sharing any challenges that you face at your personal end, because, uh, um, uh, I, and I'm, I, I'm interested to know because I want to understand the different contexts of different, different societies. We have a very patriarchal society and before you step out of home, you have to fight uh, another battle in between the home. Uh, first to get several, several freedoms and liberties. And I'm just wondering if you had that kind of struggle as well? Uh, yes, we all struggle and it's uh, the struggle that uh, it's ongoing. Uh, initially that I did not have the support of my parents, even though I was mature, independent, married, had a son, my both parents reacted negatively to my initiative to join a political party and run for a mayor. Uh, and it's not because they didn't trust me or because they thought that I cannot do it. It's, it was more because of they felt petty for me in a sense that you're going to enter into politics and you're going to face a lot of difficulties. So it came more of a, from the love and caring for their daughter rather than from the disbelief. On the contrary, my husband was supportive. Uh, he believed and he also... Uh, understood that you cannot change the society or you cannot change how the processes are done at the management level, local or national one, if you are not involved. Uh, but then after that, there's a lot of, um, uh, it was a lot of uh, uh, sacrifices and a lot of, uh, how to say, emotional uh, burden for myself as well. Considering the fact that uh, in, after a year and a half that I joined politics, I was pregnant with my second son. Uh, I delivered him while I was a minister of trade and industry. And also um, immediately after I delivered him and recovered like a week or less than a week, I went back to the office because we were in the middle of a crisis situation on a reciprocal uh, trade related issue with Serbia with whom we fought. So uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of dynamic events were happening, however, uh, a lot of judgments as well. And uh, one at one time and one discussion, my little baby boy has become a topic of discussion in the parliament. I was um, very much uh, touched and uh, felt that this is completely unnecessary. But just because the fact that I decided that I didn't want to take away a mother from a baby, but that also I didn't want to take a woman from politics, I decided to keep breastfeeding my son and then also do my job. So I would take him with me uh, and if I would travel abroad and had this series of promotional events. And then because I didn't want him to be a burden to Kosovo budget, I was uh, actually engaging uh, different people on hourly basis. Wherever I would travel, I would arrange it with hotel or with our embassies on trying to find someone that I would pay for a few hours that would take care of my baby boy while I would be presenting or being in the meeting. And even that was being looked into with high criticism and how can she do this? And despite the fact that it was only burden to me and to no one else, uh, still people found ways how to um, judge me or fight a political battle on it. 
And I, I was thinking it would never have happened to a man. I mean, a father would have a baby boy at home and he would leave it with his wife and then continue his career and be looked at as, oh, a wonderful minister, even though the successes were not missing. I was a very successful minister of trade and industry. But the judgment and a lot of uh, a lot of bad mouthing, and I say, well, such a hypocritical uh, society. But still, yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of the um, it's one of the realities that we live in. Up to this date, I'm happy that I've done it. I probably would have done it again. Uh, I mean, now I'm a little bit terrified of the of the experience itself when I go back and think of you know waking up like early 5 a.m., taking him as a baby boy while he's sleeping taking a stroller and his luggage and my luggage and, you know, getting on the plane. He was a quiet baby, so he was working with me, like he felt the energy. He was not crying on the plane. But when I was having two connection flights, uh, when we would get off on, after the second one, I remember him when we arrived in Paris, uh, we had a meeting there and uh, we got in the car to go from the airport to the hotel. Uh, the embassy, uh, the representative of our embassy were waiting and uh, then he started crying so loud that no one could ever say a word until we got to the hotel and I think he, this was his, like, I had it enough with you. <laughs> I'm so proud of you and uh, when you said that you might, you, you might think to do it again, I mean, you you should know that you have, you know, like all force of nature and all these women who are with you and who are so proud of you, what you have done. And they, thank you so much for sharing uh, these very personal stories. But these are these are very important. And I think these stories need to need to be told. Uh, and uh, coming to this uh, very these uncertain times that we are living through um, uh, this global health emergency pandemic. Uh, so my question is, has the COVID-19 crisis influenced or changed your political point of view? Uh, if so, can you give us an example? Have you changed the way you interact with other politically, uh, 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 like politically engagement uh, because of the social distances caused by the uh, COVID virus? Like how it has changed your life as a political person? Uh, yes, COVID affected a lot of uh, the, the ways how we do business, I mean, how we engage with other people. Unfortunately, it, for our, us politicians or for the people in the office has cut off the sort of the main arteria of our uh, work, and that is communication with others and, you know, listening and being in gatherings or organizing public debates. This is the hardest part. Uh, even though our parliament was holding sessions and we were um, uh, going through uh, quite a, a heavy political crisis in Kosovo uh, during this period of time, I think that still um, I realized one thing that despite of the crisis, it is how it is going to matter how we respond to this crisis, what are our stands and in politics as in any other uh, profession, you need to adopt. One element that uh, crisis had affected me directly, it had made me more certain on the goals. I never believed that uh, something like this would happen and you would be uh, much more uh, assertive and much more firm on what you believe is right because we've seen that can slip so easy like with health crisis uh, we've seen that you know situation can go uh, really uh, uh, the wrong direction really fast so my 
um, energy went at the higher intensity into uh, trying to uh, defend uh, rights of women in business. As a member of parliament and as a uh, member of budget committee and a member of another uh, economic development committee, I actually proposed a code uh, for uh, women in business, budget code that would help assist women in business who have been affected by the uh, crisis situation. Then also have been much more vocal on uh, the quota, gender quota that um, I proposed in previous legislation for women on boards of the corporation and also shareholding companies. And when this legislation we started voting, um, they, there was a tendency to actually look over it and probably, oh, there are not, there are not many women who have applied. I was much firm and um, in two cases we actually sent back list or put it in re-voting uh, just to have women represented and realizing that you know if you if you don't um, take this opportunity to make the change the change is never going to happen I mean it, one thing that I realized in politics change hurts even if it's for better because people like status quo and they don't want to engage in change because change means that you don't know what's coming and it's fearful. And as we've seen with crisis, there's a lot of uncertainties. But then there was a tendency on, well, we have this um, higher crisis, let's not deal with gender issue. I'm like, no, no, this is a part of it. Because if we had old crisis, women had been double affected more than men because they were at home, they were facing a lot of difficulties. So let's try to help. So in my personal case, this crisis made me more assertive, more firm, and then also realizing that you don't have to wait for the right moment. The moment is now. It's like, you know, if we wait and wait till political crisis settle, till health crisis settle, that, oh, we don't talk about this. No, we have to talk constantly. This is our prime agenda. You know, that's why we need more women in the politics. You know, it's not just a, it's not just the empathy that they bring into their work. It's also gender sensitive budgets, gender sensitive Absolutely. quotas, you know, and, and especially looking into this public health emergency. I mean, not especially when it comes to male politicians. I mean, the usually uh, the budgets or the initiatives that they take, it's usually gender blind and um, I'm so glad that you did uh, while seeing COVID as an opportunity, especially for women in the business and in the other fields. Um, and uh, Ms. Mumuza, what will you do to accelerate the pace of change on women's political empowerment in the next 10 years? Uh, well, I started with my own party. Uh, we have all 50-50. Uh, we actually, in uh, last local elections, in my municipality, we had the list of, uh, because you have, a, you have based on the, the uh, size of the municipality, there is a number of uh, local assembly members that you have to propose in a list. So in my municipality, there was 38 that you have to propose. And then it, it, def it depends on how many get elected. So out of 38, uh, we proposed 20 women and 18 men. And out of that number, we got four women and two men elected, which is the first and only case in Kosovo that you have a political party group that has majority, double more than men, women represented to the local assembly. And this is going to be my approach and attitude throughout. And this is it again today. One thing that I've realized, and this is a, a criticism to women as well, women tend to criticize or look 
a, a sort of a more closely other women in politics and men as well. So if we have a quota, for example, like we have it in our parliament of 30%, if we talk about women's rights and if I try to promote more uh, participation of women, they say, but look, you have 30% and out of 30%, probably 15% we never heard their voice. And my take on this or my answer on this is like, okay, look at the 70%. And how many out of 70% of men you never heard their voice or you didn't see them being active? Why you're being so harsh on women? Like we barely could have a quota to have the representation properly. Why you have to criticize and look them so closely? It's the same with women in politics. They look, what's the color of their hair? What are they dressing? What's the makeup? And other things. And then the men, no one judged. Judges, and it's like this is the problem with us as well. You have to stop judging and open our minds and believe that until the moment that we are totally equal, um, we cannot be judging one side much harsher than the other. We have to look at their policies, we have to look at their actions when given equal opportunities, not when you have still men dominating and then try to even discourage women, even though in much lower percentage to be present in politics. You know, like uh, listening to this, I um, this reminds me that when we talk about patriarchy, it's not all, all, it's not all about men, you know, and the patriarchy and misogyny and sexism that they show. It's also about the internalized patriarchy that uh, our women sort of tend to internalize while living, you know, like for so long in patriarchal societies that they don't even realize that they are reacting the same way, the way uh, other, uh, you know, uh, half population tend to like behave towards women. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you actually said it very correctly that we have to stop judging people and, you know, like look everyone with the with an equality angle. And coming to the last question, uh, for me, it has been really, really inspiring talking to you. And I'm sure that the listener, and especially our young women who are listening to this, it, it will inspire them to join politics in their own context and jurisdictions. But uh, uh, the last question is, uh, what are you most optimistic about? I'm most optimistic about women performing uh, the best when they're given the opportunity. Uh, chances or the examples like Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, uh, Chancellor Merkel, and uh, other strong women around the world who, when given the opportunity, have shown that they can uh, really act and manage a crisis far way better than men is what gives me a sense of hope and uh, optimism that yes, if we manage to have more women at these positions and if we encourage more girls and women to join politics, we will all benefit from it. It's just not, it's not just, you know, women, half of our population is everyone, every single person, every single category. Uh, because women just are much more natural in politics, even though it's been perceived as men are mainly dominated. I think when women come uh, in number and when the difference will be uh, so visible that it will be seen that if politics is about daily life, then women would be way more in charge and professional than men have ever shown or have a capacity to be.
I think you said it very right that more women in politics will benefit everyone. Um, thank you, Miss uh, Kosari Lila. It has been a pleasure talking to you uh, and good luck with your uh, future endeavors. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure talking to you too. And uh, I hope sincerely that we were able together, me and you, to uh, send down a strong message to girls and women listening out there that uh, they need to uh, think about uh, getting into politics, not being afraid. But even more important, those who are facing difficulties, do not give up. Nothing comes easy, but uh, better days are ahead of us. Yes, absolutely. We are not giving up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. To learn more about the series and NDI's initiative, please go to NDI's website at ndi.org. <laughs>